0: Celebrate the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Again, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. Again. Again. You guys might. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is the one that I've been I've been uh, sort of waiting for, expecting to happen, uh, not necessarily wanting to happen because this is the year that I think they'll actually catch up to the Steelers in the number of Super Bowl championships. So, it could happen. I I, I will no longer be able to just say, well, you know, yeah, you win a lot, but we have the most. Now I have to say, you're tied, so respect. Uh, But, you know, let me ask a question to you guys. How often do you feel unique? Unique. How often do you feel unique? every day. That's great. I mean, not everybody feels that way. I, I think a lot of people don't feel unique. Some people do. Some people don't. Uh, maybe certain emotions, you feel like you're lonely or left out or, or a different, different ways and it can show up how you feel. Um, you know, and, and so when you think about like being unique, okay, in the context of being a Pats fan, right, in New England, if you're a Pats fan, you are not unique, Right? Now, if you're outside of New England, people are going to try to beat you up this weekend. Right? Uh, no, no. You you're, you are unique outside of New England. Right? If you looked at a map of the U.S. And, and who the country wanted to win the Super Bowl, the vast majority of the country, except for this tiny little section right up here in the Northeast, is going to be all for the Rams. Or anybody that's not the Patriots, right? Yeah. So... You know, but when you think about what it is when, like, being a Pats fan in New England, you're surrounded by people who have this, this same common interest as you, right? And, and that's why, you know, like, if, uh, like, Zach, he's, he's not going to hang out with some Patriots fans if he can help it. He's going to go find somewhere else that he can find, like, some Raiders fans or some people who are going to root for the other team because he wants to go find some people who have a common interest to him, right? And, and I respect that. I respect that. You know, but when you think about what it's like in, in people coming together, even to celebrate sports, and I use that word purposefully because people celebrate sports, you know what I'm saying? Um, but they, they get together with people that they have a common interest about, and they want to just, like, get pumped, get excited, to celebrate together, to feel the energy that surrounds, that comes from being with like-minded individuals. Right? Have you ever been to a sports game for a team you, you root for or been to something that you have a strong passion about and, and you've showed up to be there, to be with a community of people who share a common interest to you yeah. is is powerful. It's meaningful. It's, it's bonding. It's exciting. It's, it's, it feels good. Right? And people do crazy things when they get together and you think about sports. They... they have weird traditions. Some people have some weird traditions. You think about fans that have just crazy habits and and people who won't, like... you got people who won't shave for men, who won't shave, uh, and and women included sometimes, won't shave for, like, uh, the final season uh, of certain sports teams. You have people who just won't, like, wash certain pieces of clothing for an entire season as long as it's trying to, like... Find some weird way to like cheer their team on and get super you get what i 'm saying just yeah. weird traditions and habits that they do that you're like that's weird yeah. and you look at that and and yet a community bonds around these awkward things and when you think about this word community though it's it's, an, it, it's just an assembly it 's a group of people that come together with a common cause and and in the New Testament we actually see that this word is one they use for the word church. It's ecclesia. It's, it's a word that just means an assembly of, of a select few who share a common cause and belief. Right? And, and it, when you look at it in, in the passage or in the context of the New Testament, when he talks about the church or this assembly of God's people, he's... He's talking about people who are pursuing the Lord Jesus, right? They're people who to hold to Jesus is the Lord, he's the Messiah. And, and, and this community has some interesting traditions and habits of its own as well when you look in the Bible. And what I want to do today is I want to look at some of those when you look at the early church of Christ, right? How did they live? And so the title of this, this morning, is The Church of Christ, Part 1, alright, Part 1. Uh, I have Part 1 because I'm excited about there coming uh, uh, the number of things I've been studying out, so there'll be at least uh, Part 2 and 3, very likely a Part 4 to this, alright, and just from some of the passages we're going to look at today, alright, and just the habits, the traditions, the the deeply held convictions of the early church. You guys with me this morning? Excellent. Why don't you turn over to Acts chapter 1 really quick. I'll give you a moment to get there. In Acts 1 verse 1, the apostle Luke records this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Right? And so pause right there. We'll stop at verse 3. He appeared over a period of 40 days. Now now. This is after he has he has been crucified, he died on the cross. He was in in the tomb. And on, on the third day after his death, he resurrected. He, sh- he showed up and he appeared to a couple women who saw him. They ran away to screaming he's alive and, and going to tell his friends. And, and, and they showed up and they told you know, the apostles, he's alive, we saw him. And, and then from that point, from that day, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days multiple times. He ate food with them. He showed up. He, he talked with them. He prayed with them. He taught them. And even at one point, the scriptures tell us that he appeared to over 500 people at once. All right? I mean, 500 people at one time he shows up and, and appears to. If it was just like a handful of people, maybe you'd be like, still a little skeptical, but if, if you said, no, 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 no. If 500 people just started being like, no, we saw him. That's pretty compelling arguments and evidence for someone being alive. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Now, and so when, when we see here, though, this community of people, they have, they have come together. And this is the early church. This, this group of 120 people that Jesus is, is appearing to right here, right? They've, they've gathered not under just some religious ideals, okay, They're not just following some religion. They're not, it's not about getting together about some philosophy of life or some mode or practice of spirituality. They're not just trying to be spiritual people or just do religious things or or hold to some, like I said, moral philosophy. No, 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 no. They are there first and foremost to gather around the risen Jesus. Because they they believe that he is alive. They have this deep conviction that he is real, that he he did die, that he rose again, and that he ascended. Some of them got to see him ascend bodily into heaven. And so these people are are together at this point holding this deeply held conviction. Now, if I had to estimate 120, so we're talking like, what, four times the number of people that are probably in this room right now. That's, a, that's, a, that's quite a number of people, I would say. And, and just the feel of what it would be like to be around people who, are, who have seen the risen Jesus. Some of them have touched his hands and sat and had conversations and, and eaten with him. And, and now he's ascended into heaven. And what, that, what the spirit of that room would feel like, of the intensity of, of faith and conviction of who Jesus is, would just be, it's amazing to think about. But that's what they're gathered around because they believe that Jesus is real. And so, and and they have this faith that he's coming back. That he's not gone forever, but that he's got a plan to come back. And this faith that they have in in his resurrection and that he's coming back, it motivates them. And it drives them. And, And they are moved because Jesus didn't stay dead. So that they could have life themselves and have their sins forgiven and and all that comes with that. And so for us, you know, we look to him as the church and he looks out for us. To this day, you know, he's still guiding us with his word and by his spirit. And, And so when we look at the church, it's a community of people who are empowered by the spirit of God to become witnesses of the reality of God's kingdom, of Jesus' resurrection, of of the work, of his work in this broken and messed up world. Right? And so we're able to use our own lives as a testimony to the conviction that we have. And that's what the early church did too. And what I want to look at though is what did the church look like when it first started? Alright? What were some of the things and the basic Principles and practices that they began to hold just early on. And, and study those out over the next couple of weeks. You guys with me? Yes. Turn over to Acts 2. Shouldn't have to turn very far. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading, though, in Acts, Acts 2 22 through 47. Verse 22, it says, men of Israel, this is, excuse me, sorry. This is the Apostle Peter preaching the first Christian sermon ever, like post-resurrection, right? This is the first Christian sermon, at least the one that we have recorded. And this is after the Holy Spirit has just shown up. Uh, I mean, he shook the buildings. There was this, like, tongues of fire came down there was this loud roaring of wind and suddenly all these people start to speak in different languages I mean it's just crazy and and they're proclaiming Jesus so animatedly so loudly so I mean just emphatically that some people are like these guys are drunk and and Peter's response earlier is they're not drunk right and, and he begins to preach this sermon and so we pick up we're going to go ahead and just pick up in verse 22. Of what Peter's sermon is saying, he says, "Men of Israel, listen to this. <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. And as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's uh, over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge." And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said to him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with the joy in your presence. Brothers, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would uh, place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he is received from the Holy... Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, that was a lot. But it's, it's incredible because right here, we see the early church motivated deeply by faith, right? Right? And, and as they begin to they're filled with the Holy Spirit they get out there and they begin to just bear witness and they're proclaiming Jesus as Lord and and the Holy Spirits just working like this outrageous miracle of of allowing all of them to be to be able to speak different languages and and there are Jews from all over the known world at that point that are just have come to Jerusalem and you're hearing dozens of languages spoken by these people, and they're just pro- proclaiming Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what is going on. But they're just boldly witnessing to the fact that no, Jesus is Lord. And and I gotta admit, how how would that feel to you? Like if if all of us, if all of us went out on the street right, into Church Street right now and just started, like, preaching fire that Jesus is Lord. Some of us would feel, right now, overwhelmed and out of our minds, like, just trembling in fear. Some of us, I think, just getting out there and doing it and saying, we're all going to do it together, would feel really pumped and excited about it. Here's the, the thing, though, is these people at this point, the Holy Spirit has done something exceptional, in this moment where it's not just just the strength of your own going out there. I mean the Holy Spirit's evidence is so powerfully with them, I think that they wouldn't even be able to just close their mouths and be quiet themselves. Right. It, it would be an emphatic overflow of just, no no, 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 you don't get it. Jesus is real. You have to know. I have to tell you, you have to know. That he is the one. And so Peter's getting up and preaching this sermon. He's telling these people all the good news. And he's like, look, God's plan, he died. You, God handed him over to you. He died. He didn't stay dead. Right? He rose again. And, and he ends it with like, okay, but just so you know, I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. This guy you crucified is now Lord and Christ. Right, I mean, they're just out there preaching. Peter's up there just preaching the Word. And I would say it was a moderately effective sermon. Because (laughs) 3,000 people became Christians. You know, and I'm just thinking about it. I'm like reading it. I'm like, am I reading too loud? I'm like, well, he's trying to preach to hundreds or thousands of people right now. I'm probably not being loud enough as I'm reading this. But... Or emphatic enough, if he's just like preaching the word powerfully, but these people are just moved. And and when I think about personally as a minister, I get I get crazy inspired by the idea of three thousand people becoming Christians, and I also get incredibly overwhelmed by the idea of three thousand people becoming Christians, because that's three thousand people you have to like care for and think about and pray for and. Um, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's definitely a serious need for the Holy Spirit right there. To, to rely on the Holy Spirit to just take care of God's people. You know, and, but we see this whole community. And, and when they hear the message about Christ, they, their response of these 3,000 people of, of this community just to go, what do we do? Okay, now now What? The Messiah came, he was resurrected, he died. Yeah, we killed him, but he's, he's, he's resurrected. So, so, so what now? What do we do? right? And, and Peter's response, he goes, Hey, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He, he's speaking to these people filled with faith already. They accept that Jesus was the Lord, that He was Christ. Their their faith is motivating them. And He says, alright, repent and be baptized. Take that faith, repent, get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and 3,000 of them did that day. You know, often I'm like, well, that's a lot of people. You know, how did you do that? And... and the Jewish community, actually, there was a lot of pools in the area. It was very possible to do. I just have been stuck in my head, like, one baptistry, like, all these people lined up. And you're just like, next, <laughs> next, next. That's not what it would have been like, I'm sure. But, um, no, no, no. So, we look at this, though, and, and Peter's response is just to call these people, and they responded. And not only, it, it wasn't that. You, and we got to keep in mind, these people traveled far and wide to come to Jerusalem. And there's there's tens of thousands of extra people in the city this weekend, or in, in this time period, right? And so I don't know why I think of it as a weekend. It was Passover. Uh and but there, there's all these extra people in this community from afar, and then they end up staying. Okay, rather than everybody going home at the end of Passover, thousands of people stayed in the city. All right? And and I'm sure, like, lots of people who lived there already became Christians, right? They had seen the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and many people became Christians that lived there. But many people who weren't from there started becoming Christians. Now, that would be as if we had, like, a huge conference in Burlington. So let's say we just invited all of New England to come and visit, okay? And they all said, hey, we want to stay in Burlington for a while, (laughs) <laughs> uh, can you help us find places to stay we're like well we got some tents and our houses are going to be packed out uh, and it's a little cold outside but you, know, you guys get the picture I mean it's just like people need places to stay and, and eventually the resources that people at that time brought with them are going to run out it's not like they had a debit card that they could just pull out and pull from their, their resources that maybe they had at home right? and so eventually need began to happen People began to run out of the money and the food and the things that they had brought. And that's where we get, begin to see some incredible spirit of the church. The heart and, and the conviction of the church because of what they've been given in Jesus. And how greatly they've been blessed, they begin to bless each other, right? And, and so as, as, right, as all these people become Christians... They get baptized, um, they they get connected to Jesus because of their faith, and invariably they get connected to each other, right? And they begin this new way of living, right? And it says that they they devoted themselves to some things, if you look at this passage here. And, And look down here in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by all of the apostles. So what I want to do is I want to break these four things down. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one, because I am going to spend a lot of time on each one over the next couple weeks. Alright? But we're going to just take a quick kind of run through at some of these things. And and break them down. So you have, right... So you have the Apostles' teachings, you have the fellowship, you have the breaking of bread, and you have the prayers. And I'll get to why I have the prayers up there uh, in a little bit. But let's just start with the Apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to it. And when you think about the word devoted, I don't know what you think of, but I, I... I have the image that you're not going to turn me away from this. I'm devoted to my family. Like, you are not going to turn me away from my family. Like, I am devoted to you all. You are not going to turn me away from all of you. Right? But here, the the concept of they devoted themselves, it says the apostles' teachings. Now, if I were to tell you what these teachings are, or if you were to think about it, it says... What do you you might think? Okay, well, the apostles' teachings are they just teaching them the good news message? They're telling them the gospel story. Do you think they're telling them the gospel story over and over and over and over? No, uh, no. I, it, for me, at different times, I've thought that. Um, I'm in, I'm sure that it included that. And it began there with the good news about God's love for humanity, uh, of how because of God's love, he sent Jesus to die for humanity's sins so that we have the opportunity for forgiveness and salvation for all who believe, repent and are baptized. Right. And and I'm sure it started there, but it didn't stop with that. And so these teachings included that. But he went on to teach them so much more of what it meant to live as Christians. And, And. This would be the thing that changed every facet of your life. They're they're, they're having to learn a whole new way of the world. And and it would affect everything. I mean, it it would affect how you treat your friends. It would affect how you treat your enemies, your spouse, your neighbor, how you think about your job, your career, how you think about money, sex, food, government, social justice, like The list goes on and on and on. Because as you learn to live as Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, it changes everything. And if you don't think it changes everything, then you're missing the teachings of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is not like the world. Often when I tell people when they study the Bible, or even after they become Christians, and, and let's say a brother or sister has an interest in someone else... And and they're young Christians. One of the first things I tell them is, okay, let's be clear. You have no idea what you're doing. And they're like, well, I've dated people before. I'm like, no, 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 no. The worldly you has dated people before. The Jesus version of you has never dated it before. And you've never dated God's way. So you don't know what you're doing. So you have to be seeking to learn the heart of what it is to do this right now the Bible doesn't have anything about dating in it but there's a whole lot of principles that you need to learn and be taught and that's just a simple one that, that just comes up and then it goes into so many other realms of our lives that we think oh no 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 I know what I'm doing I know how to use and spend my money I'm like what well, you do in the world sense but do you know in the God sense do you see what I'm saying yeah. and it but it gets into all of the little things, too. I mean, just, just even the things you don't think that it should change. And this, this is what the apostles are beginning to teach them. How to live in this way. Right? And so, all of this, all of these changes, though, where did it stem from? It stems from their faith in Jesus. That the, the way to live in step with Jesus is not in step with the world. And so by pursuing Christ and pursuing his understanding in his heart, that's how they're going to be able to do this. And it's going to build a community of believers united in deep conviction. And I think there's something significant knowing that you and I hold deeply to these basic truths. you know what I'm saying? That's why when you can travel to a different part of the country or even a different part of the world and spend some time with some disciples in the fellowship and know this is my family. And we're unified about Jesus. Are you guys with me? Yeah. I'm looking forward to digging into that one more, and even what the spirit of that means, because what it means is this community was devoted to being learning, to, to being learners, or to learning. And, and even us addressing that in ourselves, Of are we a community devoted to learning on a casual sense, or a real devoted sense? Amen? Fellowship. I want to d- jump into this next one. This word, fellowship, I've, I have always more or less equated to Christians socializing together. Anybody else do that? Mm-hmm. Fellowship is just us know, socializing. It's like show up early so we can fellowship and um, spend time together. And it's such a religious word. It's like you go out to eat together and, and you're like, what did you go do? We just had a great time of fellowship and hanging out and eating food and, and all that. Um, it's so interesting but we have appropriated that word. That is not what the New Testament word actually talks about. Like so much so that that it, even if you were to say it's a little bit of it, it's such a fraction of the word fellowship that we would be, we are misusing it. It's so, I, I, as I've studied this out, it's been really interesting to me. And it so... I'm looking forward to digging into it in a couple of weeks, but we're misleading ourselves to think that we're participating in fellowship when we're just socializing together. Um, you know, to be quite honest, I think the study of this word has been really rocking my world uh, over the last several weeks as I've been getting into it. And the word is, is koinonia, and it's this Greek word that can best be used to describe the concept of sharing. Okay, it, it's, it's not just hanging out. It's about sharing. It's the, the spirit of sharing together. And between two or more parties. And so it could be like we have a business partnership. And in this area, we have koinonia, like where this is shared. It's also used in the sense of, I'm not going to get too far into it because it's a couple weeks from now. But the, the sense of even in a marriage, when you get married, you share everything. Everything becomes one. That's the use of the word koinonia. And so the fellowship, it's, it's talking about the, the oneness, the sharing of all in both the practical sense of like resources, like money uh, and food and things like that, as well as time and energy and, and just your basic resources. You are sharing this openly together and you're sharing in Jesus together. OK, so I'm really excited to to dig into this um, together in a few weeks and and just looking at how it connects us to Jesus and how fellowship really is intended to connect us to each other. And I, I hope that it changes your perspective and even how you think about how you think about church, really. But let's look at the next one, right? The breaking of bread. You know, I have, uh, I've taught, again, I've taught and still do hold to this idea that what's being talked about here is the practice of taking communion together. But as I've looked at it more, I think that it also includes this practice of spending time together. I think this actually encompasses more the concept of what we think of as fellowship. I think this is, and, and even using that word right now, it's socializing, And and they're saying spending time together, that's where they would break bread. They'd get together, they'd eat some meals, they'd share food. Now keep in mind they were doing this every day and part of that is is because you've got at least an extra thousand house guests hanging around in the city, you know, brothers and sisters just around. And so there's a lot more people that need to be fed and taken care of and so this was happening a lot. But here they would be, even as you see later in... The rest of the book of Acts, we see multiple times, and even in, in the later epistles and whatnot, the rest of the New Testament, they spent a lot of time in each other's homes. They, they ate together a lot. They were just around each other as the community of disciples, of believers, and they would. When they got together, they'd share a meal. They'd remember Jesus, but they shared a meal. And, and I don't care who you are what you believe. Anybody, uh, you know, we got some homeschool people who didn't grow up and in, in going and eating in a cafeteria in school, but some of them are in college and different things. But when you go to a cafeteria, the lamest thing to do is sit by yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you go and you, and, and I'm not saying like, it's, I mean, you're not lame by sitting by yourself. I'm saying it's lame. It stinks. It's, it's a bummer to have to sit by yourself. It's, it's nice when you feel like all these people are around and you're like, oh, I know them. okay you know And you share something with somebody, that experience of just sharing a meal together, that's significant. Now, if you're doing some homework, you're like, no, stay away from me. I don't want to talk to you. I want to get my work done. Um, maybe. But uh, if you're eating a meal, you want to share it with someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something significant about eating together. And that's why I say this is both sharing communion and about spending time. And we'll see that more and more, and I look forward to digging into this as well. But this is the social hour. Do you get what I mean? We we should not call it. I don't know what we'll call it, you know. But it's it's the breaking of bread. We're enjoying fellowship right now as we share together. But it's it's a little bit different than what we've always called it. But lastly, it digs into this last one. It talks about. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, different translations... Does anybody else's Bible actually have the prayers? Anybody else have that? No? It's okay. I think, um, you know, when you think about the the community of Christians, these were all Jews. All of them are Jews. They grew up praying the Shema every day, morning, noon, and night, sort of a thing, right? They had a... a a set of common prayers that they shared in the community. And so, when we see that they devoted themselves to prayer, it, it could really, realistically, and very likely so, they're devoting themselves to the prayers. You know, the, you even have the Our Father, which Jesus taught. He taught them a specific prayer to pray. Now, was it all ritual prayer that they're praying? I suspect that it was not. But I do believe that even based on their culture and tradition was to get together and have corporate prayer while they recite these prayers together. Now, I don't know about you, if you grew up in a community that recited prayers, like as rhetoric, as as robotic sort of prayer, um, I did. And sometimes for me it was meaningful if I was feeling like I was being intentional. And sometimes it didn't mean, it it meant diddly to me. I mean, it, it meant next to nothing. It's just a, I'd repeat it out of rote memory and, and whatnot. And, and I could hear that everybody else was just this monotone syllable of just repeating it. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience. But, um, but that's very different if you envision somebody, what it was like for these Christians many of whom who've just become disciples, who've, some of whom, have, lots of whom who've seen Jesus, saw the crucifixion, are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're showing up. And when they're praying, it's not this like, nah, 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 nah. you know, our Father who art in heaven. No, no, they're like, God, like in their hearts, they're crying out to Jesus. They're crying out to God. They're pouring themselves forth. And just the intensity of their prayers, of even doing something simple, like praying the Our Father was powerful. It's it's like a chant. Like they're just chanting together and praying this together with their full heart there. You guys with me? They're devoted to it. And this was just part of what made up this community of a devotion to prayer and sharing this experience and this passion of praying together with one another, fervently calling out to Jesus. This defined the early church. It was one of the things that they're devoted to. You know, and so as we look at these different practices over the next couple weeks, as we dig into them, and and obviously we have house church next week, and and, uh, I'll be working on this and and preparing the first of them, which will be all about the apostles' teachings and just being learners. What does it mean to be a learner, to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Um, But we can look at the habits of the early church, and how they were motivated by their connection to Jesus, which came by faith. And is, it, it defined and it molded the community. You know, these were actions of the community of the followers of Jesus who were the first church of Christ. And so we have a, a name that means something. And there's a reason we call ourselves the Church of Christ, right? And, and that's not to say that if you don't have the name Church of Christ that you're somehow missing it. I mean, the, the church was called the Church of the Nazarene and the, the Way and the New Way. And, and, I mean, the church has a number of different names just in the New Testament alone. Right? So I'm not saying that you gotta have this specific name, but I am saying that we're part of the Church of Christ, the Church of Jesus. And that means something. And this early church was devoted to these things. This is our, our heritage, right? This is where we come from. This is what our, our, our sisters, our brothers, our, our early church fathers and mothers, these are the things they held to. And, and, and to me, that inspires me. and It calls me higher uh, to look at their level of conviction. I go, I want that. And to get that, I need to make sure I'm connected to Jesus and studying how, how did they, what did they do? How did they do it? And that's what I'm excited to look at. We're going to check out their habits. We're going to we're gonna look at them because you can learn an enormous amount about somebody by studying their habits. What someone does regularly will tell you about their priorities and what they believe. And so, that's why we're doing this. And if you take some time, you'll learn a lot about yourselves too. About what your habits are. And so I hope as, as we go home this week, I pray that you can Really ask yourself, what are my habits and what are my priorities? And as we think about today, what we just learned, it's the church is the assembly of God's people. That these are people filled with conviction about the risen Jesus. That, that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and a prayer. And, and we want to be a people also motivated, moved, and devoted to the same things. So let's learn, let's get close to Jesus, and let's love one another. Amen? Amen. Amen.